1: So the best way to get something done, if you, if it holds near and dear to you, that you uh, um, like to be able to, anyway.
0: It's time to talk money.
1: I'm. We're going to get a lot done.
2: The Financial Guys Radio Show.
1: Okay. Um. Hang on. Uh. Sorry. Oh.
2: Here are the Financial Guys. Glenn Wiggle and Mike Lomas.
3: Hi, everybody. Glenn Wiggle here. Happy Independence Day. We are doing a best-of show today. We're going to take a stroll down memory lane and play some of the fantastic interviews that we've had uh, with some incredible people over the last two decades here on the radio. We've had the pleasure and the opportunity to interview uh, gubernatorial candidates, uh, congressmen, uh, just some very uh, you know interesting people throughout the years, and we wanted to play a few of those uh, you know interviews here on the on the radio as a best of show and take a stroll down memory lane so this first interview was with Andrew Pollack. Now, those that don't know, Andrew Pollack lost his daughter, Meadow. He wrote a terrific book called Why Meadow Died, and uh, it really lays out all the failings, that are still there, by the way, in our school districts and the, uh, the failures that uh, don't protect our children. And so this, I think, is one of our probably our most important interviews and certainly uh, one of my favorite interviews. This is the interview we did about a year ago with Andrew Pollack. Mr. Pollock, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you spending some time with us today.
4: Oh, thanks for having me on to to discuss this uh, important message. Yes. It's
3: a crucial message. First, let me start by saying I'm very, very, very sorry for your loss, sir. Yes. Um, Mike and I both have two daughters, and I have a son as well, and I I can't even imagine. Can't imagine
5: what you're going through. Can't even
3: imagine. Um, I've read about half the book thus far. I just got it a couple days ago, and it's hard to even put down. But the new book that you have out, Why Meadow Died, the People and Policies That Created the Parkland Shooter and Endanger America's Students. This is an absolute must-read. You know, I've been talking for a while, Mike and I both, about the failures at the FBI,
5: but it's so much more. Yeah, I mean, you're exposing layer upon layer of failures, right? And by the way, we said we're going to buy a bunch of these books and start sending them out to every school administrator in the country.
4: <laughs> yeah. Thank you. If uh, you could get
5: them, it's <laughs> you hard to even find these books. I yeah, you, that's a great point because we did try to buy two and we couldn't get one. With it, it was going to take about thirty to sixty days to get it. So, yep. but um, well, it, it, well, tell us about you know um, you know first of all, the the Democrats have told us that it's all about guns, guns, guns. But as you've pointed out, there's been a number of different layers of failure from the school policies to the guards to the law enforcement to the FBI. And I don't even know where to start here. I I mean, there's just tons of misinformation on the, on even on the Parkland shooting and the and you know, uh, and gun control itself.
4: Yeah. Well, to tell you the truth, it's kind of demented because I really just got into this to really find out how my daughter that could have happened to my daughter at the school. You know, I wanted to know everyone who failed the policies, and I wanted accountability uh, for my. That's what my daughter would want. And that's how I went into it. Nothing. I didn't watch. Have to watch the news what they were pushing. I have no agenda. I'm not, I don't. I'm not running for office. I just had my daughter murdered, and it, for me, I wanted to know how that could possibly happen. And and you know, as I got into it, uh, I started uh, finding all these failures out. And, and everyone was calling me. To, so many people were calling me. They knew this kid was the, ki- the shooter, the killer, before he left the building,
1: mm-hmm.
4: school. You know what I mean? And the day after the, the shooting, the superintendent, Runcie, who comes from Chicago, uh, was already talking uh, gun control
6: mm-hmm. in the
4: NRA before my daughter's what? funeral.
5: Let me let me ask you specifically, I guess, when you bring up Chicago, the, Ofom, the the failures of the federal government, the Obama administration, right? And maybe talk a little bit about, I mean, you're, you've educated me on the fact that, you know, some of these kids who should be punished are not being punished.
4: Yeah, and, and it hurts them. Like, it sets them up for failure, what they don't get. So this uh, policy started with uh, they wanted to end the school-to-prison pipeline. Uh, they wanted to lower suspensions and expulsions. So what they do is they just stop it. You know what I mean? When Runcie came to, to Broward County from Chicago, he was it was a miracle. He reduced crime by seventy percent in like a, a little over a year. So what happens is they just stop reporting it. <laughs> you know, uh and they put they they offer other uh, programs like healing circles uh, that teachers should be involved with and putting them into programs. That really doesn't show them any consequence. So you, you hurt everybody. And these policies, I want parents to know, like my book, Why Meadow Died, Why? it's more of a manual for parents, I'm calling it. Mm-hmm. You know, parents, if you think it's Justin Broward, it, that's 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 false. You, you know, it's all over the country, these policies of lacks, a lack of discipline in the public school systems. Uh, in California right now, if parents want to look that are listening, they just find it into law, Kevin Newsom, that it's illegal to suspend disruptive children in the classroom. <laughs> right. So that is the exact policy that created a culture of leniency within the school district, in Broward, which enabled this kid to never ever get arrested. Okay, that I have notes that I found through the school district that this kid said he wanted to kill uh that the teacher said he couldn't differentiate uh, violent video games from reality. He, uh, they had to tie his uh, desk down because he was so violent in the school. He would throw things in, in the school. Uh, he was a danger to teachers and to students, but they allowed him to be in the class. It's unreal. He would draw, yeah, he would draw stick figures, and, and then he like shooting people. Mm-hmm. The teacher said when, when she thought about the Civil War. He got so excited because there was. They talked to people that got killed and blood. He wanted to know if the people that that, that were killed were eaten. <laughs> and, and this is. And if parents think this is the only kid uh, in the school districts it, it's happening. You know, there's hundreds of kids like this. <laughs> you know what I had to find out, which was uh, I had to find it out because I have a civil suit going on to hold everyone accountable. In one of in my last deposition of one of the security guards which they failed to tell the parents about this stuff, they had to frisk this killer before school every morning. That's how dangerous he was. Huh. And, they, and they weren't allowed—he wasn't allowed in with a backpack, and they had to frisk him, but they thought it was okay— To let him in there. Being, yeah, he was, it was okay to let him into the school with my daughter.
3: That's right. Honest. Yeah, it's crazy. It's a uh, Andy, in this book, you actually you quote a lot of these teachers, and and one I, I just it, it struck me uh, this this teacher Jan wrote, you know, I feel strongly that that uh, he is a danger to the students and faculty at this school. I mean, she flat out said it. I don't feel he understands the difference between violent video games and reality. He's constantly showing aggressive behavior and poor judgment.
5: I'll how, how ignore it. That's Angel, let me ask you this. With all the stuff you're doing, are, are we making progress? I mean, it seems to me, and I, I saw one of your videos where you, you brought up a, an, an incredibly excellent point, which is you, know, you want to walk through an airport. A congressman, by the way, they're not walking in to a meeting without going through a metal detector, yet we're sending our children every single day exposed without any kind of – uh, support to make sure that people like like this this gentleman i 'm not going to mention his name walks into that school.
4: Uh, we are making progress in Florida okay uh, i've seen a lot, and across the country i'm getting so many emails about how schools are taking security uh, serious they're letting what's very important what we found out in the investigation is when seconds count, uh, first responders are minutes away or even they even go in the building. So you need to train people that voluntarily want to go for training, so they're right there if something happens. That's one of the things uh, that we found out through our commission training. But, but what parents I want everyone to know is that completely responsible way you send your child to school. You guys have kids, right? Mm-hmm. You, if you spoke to any parent that had a kid murdered in a school, they would say I. They would. All of them would say, "Never thought it could happen to me." Like you guys, yep. it's normal. You guys, it can never happen to me. And then, and then, and then, it's terrible. Something could happen. So I'm not saying for you guys to, that this kid, like your kid's, going to get shot. But the issue is, you guys ultimately are responsible for the environment you're going to put your children into. Okay. So what I'm getting at is, if these schools have these type of policies with these lack discipline policies, okay? You you have a good chance of putting your kid who wants to learn in with disruptive kids that don't have any consequence, they're committing crimes, they could sell drugs, and and, and it's going on throughout all these public, a lot of the public schools. And to put your kid in an environment like that, it's really, uh, you know, to me, I, I, if my daughter, if I would have read this book two years ago, before this happened, my daughter would be alive because I would have had her in a private school. And pay hey, anything in the world, I would sell my liver if I had to. Of course. My daughter in a private school because it's no look. When's the last time you heard about uh, there was a school shooting, a uh, mass shooting at a Christian school, a Jewish school, a Muslim school? Right. It's all the reason why is they don't have to take these type of kids and mainstream them. And and they do that at these public, not all the public schools. So that's why I'm saying, parents, you need to read my book, Why Meadow Died, to see if these policies are at your kid's school.
5: Stay
3: tuned, folks. You've got the Financial Guys. We have many more great interviews coming up throughout the years. We'll be right back here on the Financial Guys Radio Network.
2: You're listening to The Financial Guys.
3: This is the show where money meets politics. I'm your host today, Glenn Wiggler, here with Mike Lomas. It's time to talk money.
5: Do you know what he's done? The gap between the rich and the poor is going down. We've got 3.6% unemployment rates. Do you know what this man is doing?
3: The media will come out as the lapdogs, uh, you know, kissing the butt of the Democrat Party. To reach Glenn and Mike now, call 803-0930. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to the Financial Guys Best Of Show, taking a stroll down memory lane, going back through some of the uh, fantastic folks we have had the opportunity to interview over the last several decades. This next interview is probably our most recent interview. Uh, We did an interview just a couple weeks ago with uh, Congressman Lee Zeldin, who is running for the uh, governor position in the state of New York. And this is probably one of our other most important interviews and certainly uh, one of the most enjoyable interviews we've done in the the last
5: couple years. So enjoy our Interview recently with Lee Zeldin. Lee, how are you, sir? Got Mike Lomas, Glen financial guys, and uh, Lee, Congressman Lee Zeldin. Thank you for uh, spending some time with us on a Saturday.
7: Yeah, great to be with you both,
5: um, Lee. Let's let's start out. We, you know, I, I don't, you know, you're uh, we're, uh, actually let, let's tell people a little bit about yourself. Uh, you know, you're running for governor. Uh, that's a, that's a a really tall wall to climb in New York State. You know, you you're running up against probably Andrew Cuomo. I don't think he's thrown his name in officially yet, but I'm not sure he's got a job on CNN, so he's probably going to run again. <laughs> um, you know, this guy's been accused of sexual harassment 11 times. Uh, the teachers seem to dislike him because of Common Core. The gun owners don't like him because of the Safe Act. Uh, guys like Mike and Glenn don't like him because of common sense and really crummy business <laughs> practices. Uh, yet he's got a 53 percent favorability rating in this state, which is alarming to me. I mean, just sad. Um, so, but but before we get to that, I guess I guess just uh, tell us, tell folks about you. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna step in the ring here with this juggernaut. It's got a hundred million dollar war chest. And uh, I think some of our listeners, you know, this show goes out to uh, Western New York, Rochester, Buffalo. They want to probably learn a little bit about you first.
7: And I don't and I don't even buy the fifty three percent number to be honest with you. I've now visited all sixty two counties throughout New York State, and I've had stops in every single county, in every corner of New York, meeting New Yorkers. And i got to tell you, I just don't even buy that 53% have a favorable view of, of his job performance. I'm finding that New Yorkers feel like he's been there too long and it's time for him to go. For me, uh, I'm currently serving my fourth term in the House of Representatives. I'm married. to have identical 14-year-old girls. Uh, I just uh, hit my 18-year mark in the United States Army, actually on Memorial Day. I'm currently serving the Army Reserve as a lieutenant colonel.
5: God bless you, and thank you for your service.
7: It's an honor. It's an honor to serve alongside amazing men and women who believe in a cause greater than themselves. It's a a privilege to be able to wear the uniform along them and try to fill out the shoes of generations past, uh, literally sacrificed everything to uh, save the world. Oftentimes, um, we just mm-hmm. another commemoration of uh, D-Day, another reminder of mm-hmm. our greatest generation and the sacrifices of generations past. Um, for for me, uh, I find service to be a privilege. I uh, Before I was elected to the House of Representatives in 2014, I spent four years, two terms in the New York State Senate. I've just won seven consecutive races. I plan on making it eight next year when we take out Andrew Cuomo or if anyone is nominated in his place by the Democratic Party uh, beating them. We, we will win this race because we have to win this race. A lot of people feel like Cuomo's been there too long. And to your point about where he may or may not go, he's doing another fundraiser this month for a reelection campaign in 2022. So. We are running against him. We are running against the failed liberal policies in Albany, and we are running on what we would do differently to save our state.
5: Yeah, you're you're talking to a lot of folks in the New York City area, and you know when when you're talking to folks here in Western New York, you know, and I use me as an example. The minute I hear New York City, I think 100% liberal, left wing liberal. How do you turn that around? And you're talking to people out there. Do you see that any different?
7: I'm finding that there are a lot of Democrats who feel like their party's left them. There are a lot of uh, older school Democrats who feel like the wing of the Democratic Party that wants to defund our police, that uh, believes that attacks on freedoms don't require any passing of common sense, Uh, for Democratic parents who feel like Uh, Their kids shouldn't be exposed to critical race theory in schools and should have an opportunity to succeed and thrive. In the name of equity, you have some Democrats who are getting rid of advanced accelerated academics courses for kids who might be reading at a higher reading level or doing math at a higher math level. Uh, There are a lot of Democrats who look at Andrew Cuomo's corruption and feel like, his deadly nursing home order and cover-up and all the other scandals, you referenced some of them, mean that this guy's been there too long, as we just talked about a few minutes ago. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we, we, we have Republicans and conservatives and independents who have realized for a long time who this guy really is. Fortunately, over the course of the last few months, you've had many more New Yorkers realizing uh, who Andrew Cuomo is, and this isn't just how he's been acting for the last year this wasn't even just his reputation too many since he's started as governor this was his reputation when his father was the governor and right now we're being hit hard with it with one party democrat rule in dc albany and new york city at the same time first time in my lifetime we're going into a midterm with one party rule at all three levels and with the policies that we're seeing coming out of each of those levels of government Democrats aren't blaming Republicans for the attacks on law enforcement and and cashless bail, or down in d c we're watching the border crisis get worse or power grabs with HR one or court packing. Uh, it's a desperate need for New Yorkers to have balance in the state. and ultimately it's going to come down to voters to vote for that balance on November eight, 2022
3: Congressman Lee Zeldin is with us, and we appreciate your time, sir. Um, down in Florida, you know, the first week of Governor DeSantis, he did two critical things. I think that that really set the tone for his administration. He fired Brenda Snipes, the corrupt election commissioner of Broward County, uh, and then he fi- our Miami Dade, excuse me, and then he fired the Broward County Sheriff Scott Israel, who who was uh, obviously uh, uh, his his uh, negligence, I guess you'd say, you know, led to the uh, Parkland shooting. Uh, and as an action, uh, you know, costs a lot of lives. If your first week, if you were to win, you know, what is the first week for your a, 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 a Lee Zeldin administration in Albany look like? What is your top one or two priorities that you go after right away?
7: Well, the first thing you have to do after you get sworn in is you put out an executive budget. That has to happen in January of 2023. The budget process in New York starts with the governor putting out uh, his or her executive budget. Uh, we need to work on that during the campaign in order to have a great budget coming out of the gate. We need to bring spending under control. The the state budget, the executive budget, isn't just about uh, revenues and expenditures. We've seen the state budget year after year also uh, dealing with some needed policy changes as well. Uh, We're going to do that. Uh, And it's something where during the campaign you you need to actually campaign and talk about what you want to change as a governor in order to actually have a mandate joe biden doesn't have a mandate to pack the court because actually to the only extent that he talked about it during last year's campaign it was throwing cold water on the idea so if you want a mandate to say for example repeal cashless bail eliminate critical race theory inside of our schools i don't believe that the government should be paying able-bodied adults more to Stay at home than to go back to work when there's an available job in their community, unless you have a very very good specific compelling reason why you can't go back to work that's why we're having huge labor force issues right now it's not that you know that business in Western New York is having a hard time finding employment because there's nobody around or available. So that the people who are around and available are getting paid more by the government to sit at home. But you have to campaign on these issues, talk about these issues in order to actually be able to do it. Now, you talked about uh, a couple of personnel moves that were made by Ron DeSantis, and I served with Ron in the House. He's a friend. We work together on a lot. I think he's doing a great job in Florida. And a lot of what he's done as governor models my approach, outlook, philosophy in many different respects. Uh, So we have to appoint people who are going to run different state agencies. There are a lot of people we need to bring into government here in New York who have a more job-creator-friendly outlook. Uh, I don't believe that we should be picking winners and losers as much as we see inside of the business climate, where based off of connections or geography You end up getting a better leg up. Um, I've seen it where you create a new zone where on the west side of a highway, if you were fortunate enough to be operating, uh, you might not have to pay taxes. But if you're on the east side of the highway, well, you're outside of the zone and you have to pay taxes. Uh, So there's a lot that needs to get done to recalibrate the state. To reverse the attacks on our wallets, our safety, our freedoms, and part of its policy, part of its the personnel changes, and you pointed out that's something that Ron DeSantis was focused on when he first came in. Uh, we are going to have to also put a heavy focus on having a strong first executive budget right out of the gate in January.
5: Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, uh, Lee, you know what are your thoughts on you know the kids now? This is the big hot topic in Western New York as these kids are. You know, being forced to wear face diapers to uh, to school every day, and you know, this week Andrew Cuomo is amazing. I'm listening to his conference, and I'm thinking, oh, are you talking to like twelve year olds? He's like, we're trying to match <laughs> up uh, the school <laughs> rules with the camp rules, and I, it's difficult. I'm thinking, it's really not. <laughs> it's really not. I mean, you know, a red stripe and, and you know, on a cigar, and Glenn and I figure that out in about 13 <laughs> seconds, right? Here's what, but but you know, I, I I can see the anger in these parents here locally, and and they don't seem to care. They just don't seem to care. There's people out protesting at board meetings. They're pro walking on the streets in front of the schools, and they just don't seem to care. He seems to want to follow the science when it works for him, but when it doesn't, he doesn't want to follow the science. So, what is your thought about you know the the face diapers and these kids, and 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 then vaccinating these kids because that's another big topic that we're getting into, and he's already prepping for that.
7: I totally support unmasking our kids i've been I've held press conferences I've spoken at rallies on this I've been I put I've put out public statements I've uh, been active on social media talking about it uh, and I will continue to do that I come at this not just as a candidate for governor or a member of Congress I'm also a parent I have 14 year old girls as I mentioned earlier they're in the ninth grade you have schools as the temperature is rising right now and the kids are taking finals where there's no air conditioning right we're not talking about kids wearing masks for 20 minutes we're talking about kids wearing masks
5: for six hours yep
3: stay tuned folks more interviews to come here on the financial guys radio network
2: You're listening to The Financial Guys. To reach Glenn and Mike now, call 803-0930, toll free at 800-616-WBEN. And cell calls are free at Star 930.
3: You know, over the last uh, 12 months or so during this pandemic, we've had a lot of uh, doctors and experts on an infectious disease. This next interview uh, was one we did a couple of times. This is Dr. Pamela Popper. And I enjoyed this interview a lot because it gave us a little bit different perspective on what people weren't hearing uh, with the mainstream media out there. So this next interview was, I believe, August of 2020 with Pamela Popper. Hello, Dr. Popper. Pamela yes, Popper. It's me. How Hi. are you? How are you? Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. I, I have to well, be honest. Uh, you're asking me.
6: Thank gonna, you so much. I'm going to say this
3: right off the bat. I love your last name, so we're going to say that a ton. I got to find the clip of Joe Biden though, where he talks. He calls uh, another Dr. Popper Dr. Pepper. So if I if I make that mistake, <laughs> it's because I got Joe Biden on my mind. So I apologize. We just got about a, a minute and a half until the break, and then we'll come back and, and do a couple segments with you, Doctor. But uh, give us a little bit about your background, real quick, if you can, please. Pro-
6: Okay. Well, I'm the founder and, um, and, and, and president of Wellness Forum Health in Columbus, Ohio. We're an international company, we do business in thirty three countries, and basically what we do, and it kind of goes to the topic we're talking about uh, covid, we we, we specialise in informed medical decision making. In other words, <laughs> we have huge libraries and and uh, thirty five hundred hours of online classes that teach people how to be better consumers of health, looking at risks and benefits of drugs and procedures and supplements and diets, and just anything that has to do. With health and so investigating this COVID thing is just sort of like what we do when something new comes up. Mm. And um, we've been in business for 25 years. We own a school. We train health professionals in addition to the services that we provide to consumers. We train professionals to do what we do, too. So our cause is Make Americans Free Again. That's the website, makeamericansfreeagain.com. You know, during the last um, few months that this COVID thing has been going on, um, it is breathtaking how our rights have been taken away. I mean, I never dreamed in a million years that within this period of time, we could literally lose all of our civil rights. Where yeah. we're allowed to go, who we're allowed to be with, how many people, what, the way we have to dress, we have to mask and all this sort of thing. And it's and none of it is constitutional. None of it will survive a court challenge. And so um, and I think that um, and what inspired me to start this group is we know what the inevitable end of this is going to be. Um, you gin up all this fear and then you can justify requiring everybody to get a vaccination. Mm-hmm. And there's some new technology um, that Ted, you know, Mr. Fauci, I refuse to call him doctor, by the way, but Mr. Fauci and Bill Gates and the people who think that they should be running our lives right now are very fond of it. And It's a tattoo technology that it literally gives you an immunity passport. And I think what's going to happen, they're doing this in other countries already, is we're going to get jabbed at the door and we'll have our permission and cops will walk around with smartphones and figure out if it's all right for you to be outside. And and really, this is, this is worse than anything that's ever happened in the history of the world. I mean, Hitler is probably probably smiling from the grave and thinking, my gosh, in all of my diabolical life, I probably could never have thought of anything so terrible to do to people. Mm. And the only way we can overcome this really is to say, we have to take charge of our lives. We have to vote the terrible people out of office who allowed this to happen or actively participated in it. And anybody who is in favor of any of this has to go. And furthermore, if we band together, you know, 70, 80 million people, tens of millions of people. We can just refuse. There's, right now, there are not yet, anyway, camps to put everybody in. Um, they can't really like lock us up for refusing to do things. I'm sure that's coming later, but it, right now we have, we still have the right to refuse. And if there are enough of us refusing, um, there is not much they can do. And you know so what's scary is,
5: time. is is just two or three months ago, and like you said, I would this no, this would never happen in America and, and yes. no it would never happen no they can't do that they can't they can't make you wear masks they can't tell you you can't talk to your friends or your neighbors or or see your family see your family no way no you can't tell me that I'm not gonna be able to see my grandmother in a nursing home for months no way but everything I've said no way to is way yeah,
3: it's, <laughs> it's, it's exactly. happening and mm-hmm.
6: it's only because we've allowed it to happen they actually can't do these things that's right and what's happened is everybody fell into like a stupor and I think you know I'm I'm here, but I think one of the reasons we were all locked down is forced to stare at the TV and brainwash people. And A lot of people did get brainwashed, terrified about this whole thing. They're, they're just, they're convinced that there's a terrible thing going on and there's nothing going on. What, there's nothing can, going as, on.
5: As a doctor, you know, it's amazing. I was talking to Glenn this morning about the, the misinformation when it comes to specifically scaring children. I heard somebody on, a, on an interview earlier in the week and he said, well, I'm worried about opening schools because I'm just really nervous about my son and daughter and I'm thinking why? Like are you do you did, like the the mainstream media has brainwashed parents to the point where they act there's there's a zero a 0% chance your son or daughter dies of covid a zero that's, that's what right. the probabilities are. Zero. Well, there's,
6: right? a, there's not a much bigger probability than anybody under the age of 80 is going to die of it either. Yeah. And it, it just doesn't make any difference. None of this is based on fact. It's all ginned up nonsense. It's so, absolute nonsense. Pam,
3: here's what, nonsense. From, here's what I hear from a lot of the elected officials. I heard uh, uh, Mark Poloncarz in Erie County recently say, facts matter. Truth matters. Look at what this person said, Mr. Fauci. Look at what the <laughs> state health commissioner said. But yet none of them have actually cited and they were talking about masks in that case you know masks work have you seen any i have not i've looked everywhere but have you seen any studies pam that show that ma- masks are effective uh whether that be flu or or otherwise
6: no and and i'll tell you something that's really interesting is um uh, is that if there's never been a study done on what would happen if you masked an entire population or anybody in particular for most of their waking hours? And so um, we're doing a grand experiment on millions and millions of people, and it's really not allowed. <laughs> Again, it's not allowed. Right. So, um, and I I've, I personally, what, you know, it's 100 degrees in the shade here in Columbus, Ohio, and I walk around. I refuse to wear a mask. I've never worn a mask. I'm not going to wear a me mask. Too. Yep. I walk into the grocery store and, and just look like you are kind of a frightening creature. I think if they <laughs> ask me, like, like why, why, why are you not wearing a mask? I'll tell them that, you know, I have a health condition. If they ask me what it is, I'm going to tell them I'm horribly psychotic, and I can tell you what happened the last time somebody tried to make me do something that I didn't want to do. Well, yeah. It's not pretty, and 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 really, sometimes the people closest to me get the worst of it. And right now, you're standing like in my space, so you might want to move over to the. <laughs>
5: there. Well, okay. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what I tell them. I say just simply. I, uh, they say, do you, "Do you have a mask?" And I say, "No, no. I actually want a healthy immune system." So right, please don't right. force me to have a bad immune system because I understand how the immune system works. I'm not a doctor, but I learned at a small, young age that when babies come out of the womb, we are very protective of them because they have not built up their immune system. But we build right. up our immune system by touching stuff and, and putting our hands in our mouth. And all of that used to be you know the norm, right? When I was a kid, right. it was the hot dog dropped. It was a five-second rule. And we pushed it to 10 <laughs> at some points, right? But, but that's what built up my immune system. System, and now we're exactly. telling everybody, you should hide from all this. My prediction is, I'm not a doctor, but I've been spot on exactly, we have been spot on with this whole thing to the point. And my prediction is these masks will kill so many people over the mm-hmm. next 20 to 30 years as their immune system gets suppressed. And add on with that, that we're wiping down every little thing. And what's going to happen is somebody's going to get like the normal pneumonia or something. And their immune system's not going to be able to handle it anymore 10 or 15 years from now. And I say the same with my kids. Kids, people are like, how do you not have a mask on? I'm like, well, because I want my children to have healthy immune systems. Thank you. Exactly. If you want your well, immune and system and so to be so compromised, filth. you wear that mask. God bless you. There's
6: so much filth right now. I mean, the people are walking around in these masks, and and it's like I said, it's 100 degrees in the shade, and you can see the sweat. So yeah. all the germy bacteria, gross, is trapped in that mask. And the, the other thing too, they they need to be discarded every day with a new one. So if you looked at the amount, the budget that most people would have to have in order to have a mask to wear for every family member every day for the next 90 days, for example, in Franklin County, where I am, you know, it's a, it's beyond the most, most household budgets to actually do this properly. But, you know, when you take a look at it, it's almost that there's a deliberate intent to sicken the population. And the first thing was sheltering at home. And in fact, one of the, I mean, there's so many ironic moments in this whole thing, but um, uh, the Emperor Cuomo in New York, I don't call them, we have rulers now, we don't have any elected officials. So we call them emperors and empresses and kings and queens. And so the Emperor of New York Cuomo actually got on TV one day had a lovely chart and it showed that 66% of the hospitalizations had come from people sheltering at home with no contact with the outside world. Oh my God, you sound home just patients like us. So comprised 18%, right? So, so much for it's great to stay home and, and away from everybody. <laughs> right, right. And then... Right, asking, but can I
5: stop you for one second, the yeah. doctor? Like, we looked at that chart because we did a whole show on it and we thought you'd have to be an absolute moron to not look at that and say that didn't work. But yet New right. Yorkers, 7 out of 10 of them, said, this guy's a genius. Well, so let right. me get this straight. He forced everybody to stay in a little box in New York City, we clearly know that didn't work because 70% of the people going into the hospital with a severe case of COVID did exactly what he told them to do, which is don't leave. Don't touch anything, right? So what did they do? They brought COVID in their house and sat next to it for two weeks and got sick. Meanwhile, that same study, by the way, less than 2% of of hospitalizations with uh, tough COVID cases were folks that said, you know what? I'm not listening to you at all. I'm not wearing a mask and I'm going to go out and do whatever I want to do. So Those people were healthy. It doesn't, my my nine-year-old could figure that out. (laughs)
6: The funniest thing, though, is at the bottom of the chart, it has a statement, stay home, stay safe. Because
5: <laughs> right. it's working out so well. I mean, <laughs> you, can't, <laughs> you can't make this stuff
6: up.
8: Right, you can't make it up. You can't make oh, it up. We
6: did
5: a whole show and on and this. And and we're and like, Some of the other,
6: we call it great moments in public health. And every week in my, in my um, video clips, I feature some great moments in public health. And one of my favorites was the guy who went to a drive in movie and was told he had to wear a mask in the car.
5: Yeah, that's, so that's he my writes favorite. To me and
6: he says, What do you think about this? And I said, Well, apparently, you are not aware of the terrible impact that COVID can have on cars. And if you can't afford a new one this year, you better wear your mask. <laughs> and I, I mean, really, if you're in the garage alone with your car, you really should wear a mask. Because again, if you can't afford a new car, You really, really want to be careful, and of course, it's just ridiculous. And of course, then, then there were the the state of Oregon Health Department had a thing on their website about the only safe sex is sex by yourself, and they actually had tips for how to do that, including (laughs) tuning into sexting sites so that you could have some social interaction. Well,
5: my guess is my guess is the public officials had a little bit of skin in the game, no, no pun intended, uh, in in those in those websites. (laughs) I bet, right? Yeah, no doubt, right? (laughs) Yeah,
6: well, that's the Empress Kate Brown, I think, is her name in uh, in. Oregon
5: that came up with yeah. all of that. The amount of stupidity that it's is just amazing. frightening. It really is. Let me ask you about the
3: schools, Doctor, because now you're seeing that fight begin, right? As we approach September here, and in some states even August, where schools open, like in Florida, uh, Governor DeSantis down in Florida has basically ex- issued an executive order saying all public schools must open this fall. Uh, meanwhile, on the you know in New York, Cuomo's talking about maybe shutting you know not opening up, and of course President Trump came out this past week and said, "Hey, we're going to cut off your." Funding, uh, if you don't, uh, you know, open, and of course, Governor Cuomo said, ah, psh, we don't get that much from the federal government, right? Um, what are your thoughts when it comes to schools? I mean, I don't personally, I'm, you know, all these school, all these folks in, in Florida are, are up in arms on like these these moms' websites, you know, these Facebook moms groups, because you know their kids have to wear masks all day and they don't think it's safe. Blah, blah blah. I'm personally not sending my child to school if he has to wear a mask all day. It's not right. going to happen. Yep. But what are your thoughts? I mean, what kind of damage does this do to not only the psychologically to children, but you know, potentially potentially medically, with these masks sitting in class all day.
6: Well, um, we're, we're talking about the, the dystopian places that we used to call schools, right? The, the, these aren't schools anymore. These are prisons. And nobody should send their children there. And just uh, FYI, one of the things that we did, because we know that parents are very concerned like you are, is we, we built a huge resource center on that uh, makeamericansfreeagain.com website for homeschool. And we even have personalized assistance. You honestly can't figure it out on your own. I have people one-on-one that will walk you through how to pull your kids out of school and school at home, uh, actually homeschool. And so um, I think 40% of parents, or the the, the, uh, data show, are planning not to send their children to school. And of course, um, I think that's the only answer because of what you said. You've got health implications of wearing masks all day, but there's another bigger issue that we have to think about is what the message that you're sending to children When they go to school under these circumstances, you're teaching them to be afraid of other people. You're teaching them to um, be afraid of their environment. This constant hand washing, they're going to be afraid that at any moment they're going to be struck with some dreadful disease that could kill everybody, including them and their family. And we call that hypochondria, by the way. Mm -hmm. And so grooming children to be in this fearful state is one of the crimes against humanity that the criminals who are and the despots who are running things right now now um, are inflicting. And it's, it's just, you know, like I said, Hitler smiling from the grave thinking I could never have invented
5: anything that would uh, that would be so diabolical. Yeah, would it would control people the way it yeah. has in such a quick manner.
3: You're listening to the Financial Guys Best of Interviews over the last two decades here on the Financial Guys Radio Network. Stay tuned for more interviews to come.
2: You're listening to the Financial Guys. To reach Glenn and Mike now, call 803-0930, toll-free at 800-616-WBEN, and cell calls are free at star 930. Now.
3: Here's Glenn Wiggle and Mike Lomas. Welcome back, everybody. We've got the financial guys. You're listening to our best of show, some of the interviews we've done over the last 20 years. And this next interview, much like Dr. Pamela Popper, is a doctor that didn't go along with the mainstream media. This is an interview we did very early on with frontline doctor, Dr. Erickson. And uh, I thought this interview was really, really important to get the word out. So we wanted to play this again. This is our interview uh, last year, 2020, with Dr. Erickson.
5: With no further ado, let's switch right to Dr. Dan Erickson. How are you, sir? Good. We uh, are so very thankful that you are spending some time with us. I know it's, uh, you're on the, uh, the West Coast there, 11 o'clock, but I'm sure you are crazy busy, and I can't thank you enough. We played your clips uh, for two hours last week, so <laughs> it, is, uh, it is an honor to have you on, and we really appreciate you, again, spending some time with us. So tell everybody a little bit about your background, if you could.
9: Well, uh, if you ask American College of Emergency Physicians, uh, I'm just some, you know, wacko with an opinion. But sounds like us. Yeah, (laughs) I'm just some nutbag. But the bottom line is I was trained as an emergency physician through county, although they don't think that's important. They think I should hide that, in fact. Uh, So I'm trained as an emergency physician. I worked in that industry for years, and then I started building medical businesses about eight years ago. And I have them spread out through central and southern California, and uh, somehow I, I did a, a little bit a little press release from my local media, and it went all over the place. And now I'm having to deal with it.
5: <laughs> well, we we appreciate you quote dealing with it. Let, let me tell. Let me ask you this: I keep hearing follow the science, follow the science. Now, you guys put out there some science. I thought. Well, why are we not following that?
9: Because they're not hyperbole. That's the short answer. Um, You figure, the the predictive models we've been following predicted that we were going to have 2 million people dead in the United States. And that didn't happen. So I said to myself, why don't I just collect my own data, do some testing, and see what's really going on, which I did. And I put out raw numbers. They were not biostatistically analyzed. They were raw data. I had done 5,213 tests, 340 positive, 6.5%. And so I put that out there, and uh, people got mad because it wasn't peer-reviewed. And I said, listen, this thing started two months ago. We don't have double-blind, clinically-controlled trials peer-reviewed to deal with. We have raw data. And I said, if we look at if we look at the predictive models, they're not helping us. Telling us that two million people are going to die from the top position in the White House isn't helping. So I said, my data is I've tested this many, this many are positive. And they attacked me and said, your data is not randomized. I said, You're right. It's not. This is a new, novel virus. We just started responding to it. We don't have a lot of good data to extrapolate from. So I merely gave my raw data to a couple local news stations, and uh, it was attacked for something it was never meant to be.
3: Well, it seems like anything that's counter to their narrative— is being attacked right so whether it's hydrochloroquine versus the new drug that uh, gilead's coming out with or anything if it and my understanding of medicine correct me if i'm wrong it's your business not mine but my understanding was that you know you do you know some peer review stuff but that there's different opinions sometimes there's different treatments for different things and it's not always automatic consensus unlike math where math is math right and i think a lot of what you put out there is just simply math. And there's multiple studies, not just the the raw data that you put out there, but there's data that we're getting from New York, from Sweden, from 60 Minutes even, that all kind of corroborate the same numbers, right?
9: Well, if you look at the statement, CDC put out a statement today that said, COVID-19 is basically like a severe flu. And so I have been studying Sweden. I've been listening to the epidemiologist and the doctor, Witowski, the great Dr. Witowski, who's a Ph.D., and he has his biostatistics degree, master's, and I said, help us understand what's going on. I am not an expert on this. I would like to know what the experts think. And so we looked at Sweden, and we looked at what they're doing, and their disease and death rates looked really good. And Dr. Anders Tegnell and Dr. Gisaki said, we're very happy with our results, and we're so happy we didn't follow the world's example See, they said, you guys are the guinea pig. You are trying something, this whole lockdown shelter in place, that's never been done, and it's not proving to be effective. The whole point of the lockdown was to keep the hospitals from overwhelming. And now the hospitals are furloughing doctors. They're shutting down floors, furloughing nurses. We, we've had to cut our rates. Everybody is losing on this deal, and there's almost no upside from what I can see.
5: Hmm. Um, Tell me about, um, you know, you you mentioned in your press release that, you know, you were worried about people with heart disease and diabetes, right? I mean, all of a sudden now we're not having heart issues in this country.
9: Yeah, well, what's interesting about that is I called called some different ER docs. Uh, I called one gentleman in Wisconsin. I said, tell me about your, he said, I just got off a night shift. I said, tell me about it. He said, well, he said, as you know, uh, you see chest pain, belly pain, And he said the interesting thing was people's chest pain had started several days prior, and they waited. And when this this ER physician asked them, why did you wait? And they said, I was afraid of COVID. So now they've got these these worsening conditions, these heart attacks, these abdominal issues that should have been dealt with three days ago. But because of COVID, now they have a worse issue to deal with. And we don't have data for that. This is all stuff that I'm hearing when I call ER doctors in different states and I say, what are you seeing? ER doctor in the Bronx. I have all this data if you want it. ER data from the Bronx, I think two days ago said, I just finished a shift over this last week. He said, I've been dealing with COVID for the last couple of months. It was like a war zone. Now it's lifting. The ER is opening up, beds are opening up. I think it's time to open up the economy. And he's in the middle of the Bronx in a hot zone. Hmm. So time after time, after time, after time, after time, doctors are saying it's time to open things up. We sheltered in place and we're prepared for a second wave. I talked to the CEOs in Kern County. They said their hospital census is low. I said, are you ready for a secondary surge? They said yes. So now my question is, why are we still on lockdown?
1: hmm.
5: I've been calling it COVID in a box, where we're just looking at COVID, but we're not looking at anything else. You know, um, you talked a little bit about the pressure to list a death as COVID. Would you comment on that a little bit?
9: Dr. Jensen, a doctor from Minnesota and a senator, will actually fax you over a seven-page document where they said, if you are unsure if a patient has COVID and you didn't test them, please list it as COVID.
3: <laughs> wow. We're hearing the same thing in New York, Doctor. Yeah. Um, we've had a, we've got a number of doctors, uh, friends, and nurses that are are getting equal pressure. That was up until the point that they started to knock uh, Como for so many nursing home deaths, and now they're actually peeling those off. But, anyhow, yeah. um, let me ask you a question on, you know, when it comes to the capacities and and the ability for you know, hospitals to take a secondary surge. You know, we were told initially that we had to flatten the curve. And whether you believe that the lockdown worked or it didn't, seemingly the curve was a lot flatter than we expected it because I don't know of any hospitals across the country that were really overwhelmed, right? Now that the curve is flattened, they're seemingly moving the goalpost to say, well, we want, you know, less of an infection rate. So let me ask you that specifically on infection rate. How do you track that specifically? They're talking about Germany reopened and they went from a 0.7 to back up to a 1. I mean, Aren't some of these things lagging indicators when it comes to, you know, how they're analyzing and looking at some of these numbers?
9: Well, let's talk about what flattening the curve means. I asked my biostatistician PhD. I've asked two infectious disease epidemiologists, and I've listened to their answers. Their answer is, why would you drag out the course of disease, crush an economy to the tune of 2 to $4 trillion for a disease that will reach herd immunity no matter what. The flattening the curve was supposed to make sure the hospitals were not overwhelmed. They're underwhelmed at this point. Right. So why are we delaying the inevitable? We have to get to herd immunity. And the conversation always comes back to herd immunity. That is the key. We get 70 or 80% of the population that has developed an uh, immunoglobulin, IgG, and they are no longer susceptible and the, and the virus burns out the disease rate. We will not know the exact disease rate of, of, of this thing until we go through the entire cycle. Right now, according to Dr. Witowski, who's analyzing the data, he said it looks like a severe flu. We've lost 62,000. That's about a severe flu compared to 27, 2018. So the death rates day-to-day aren't as relevant as the entire picture. Dr. Witowski told me, he said viruses move in a very smooth curve, through the society typically you don't have massive spikes usually unless someone finds some cases in a shoebox, as he put it hmm. so right. i think i think sweden is our model i'm super proud of them for standing alone with their 10.3 million people and showing us all how it's done
3: hmm. Whole another hour to go here folks stay tuned we've got more great interviews coming up in hour number two here on the financial guys radio network
0: It's time to talk money.
10: Open the curtain, please. We are introducing New York State Clean hand sanitizer made conveniently by the state of New York.
2: It's the Financial Guys radio program with local financial experts Glenn Wiggle and Mike Lomas.
10: This is a superior product to products now on the market. Purell competitor
1: New York State Clean. It has a very nice floral Bouquet, Little Eye
10: Detective, Lilac, Hydrangea, Tulips.
2: Not now, here's Glenn Wiggle and Mike Lomas.
10: Welcome back,
3: everybody. You've got the uh, Financial Guys Best Of Show taking a stroll down memory lanes uh, some of the interviews we've done over the last 20 years. This next interview, or this next person, I should say, uh, is probably one of my favorite interviews of all time. And we had the opportunity to interview this individual not once, but twice. I think the first time was when he was a sitting congressman uh, back in, uh, I think, 2013, maybe 2014. A could have been 2012. And then we also had the opportunity to interview him again very recently. Enjoy this upcoming interview with American Hero, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. I'd like to welcome uh, former Congressman, American Hero, and uh, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Thank you so, so much for joining us again, Mr. West. We really appreciate it.
1: Well, I appreciate it, Landon Michael, and uh, thanks so much for having me, and hopefully you guys enjoyed a great Valentine's Day with your uh, loved ones.
3: We We did. did. I hope you enjoyed a a, a fantastic birthday. I understand you celebrated a birthday recently, so happy belated birthday to you.
1: Yeah, just last week uh, on the 7th, so thank you.
5: Yeah, perfect. Well, you've got a long history of taking a stand in not only your military career, but uh, you served as a member of Congress. I was a little bit sad. We have an office in Jupiter, Florida and Palm Beach area, and I was sad. I heard uh, I'm happy for you. I heard you're launching a bid for the Texas GOP chair, so I'm really, really happy for you because, you know, uh, it's, you know, that's, that's incredible, but uh, sad to hear that uh, you're not going to be in Florida anymore <laughs> in our backyard.
1: Well, You know, yeah, I've been out here in Texas now five years plus, and sometimes God closes the door and opens up a better one. And when I look at where Texas is right now and to make sure that we keep it a strong, uh, red, conservative state, uh, this is an honor to be pursuing the uh, position of the chairmanship of the Republican Party.
3: You know, we talk oftentimes, you know, in Florida about the fact that, you know, New York is where our, our main office is. But, you know, these folks seem to leave places because they become inhospitable, right? They they, they flee because of the taxes. In fact, even I think uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's own mother left New York <laughs> and did, moved to moved Florida, Florida. For, for the property taxes. How is it possible that these folks move from these these liberal places because the conditions are no longer – a place where they can raise a family or, or even you know, pay their bills. And and yet, or they, get a job. Or get yeah, a job, right. and yet they move to places like Texas or, or Florida, and they bring those policies with them and vote for the same type of policies. You would think they would be smarter than that, but they're not.
1: Well, that's what uh, Albert Einstein called the pure definition of insanity, to continue to do the exact same thing and think you're going to get different results. But I, I believe it's incumbent upon us to really make that case and get people to understand that. You look at what happened in Virginia. Virginia, you know, in November of 2019, they woke up and, you know, they were behind the, uh, the, the blue line, uh, all because of four uh, counties there, primarily Fairfax County and Prince uh, William County. But here in Texas, it's the exact same thing as you say down in Florida. You see the incredible success of the tax and regulatory policies that are enabling growth, opportunity, and prosperity. And what is happening is so many, like Toyota North America that left California and moved their corporate headquarters here to North Texas in Plano, I don't think the corporate leaders are talking to their employees when they are picking up and moving, I think that's very important to get them to understand the reason why they're moving. Uh, there are some individuals that are making the decisions to move, and some of them understand clearly why they're leaving. They can't take the, the onerous and obtrusive uh, policies of the progressive socialist left, as you see in California, Illinois, New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. But there are some people that are making the decisions to move, and they just don't get it. And we have to engage with them, and we have to get them to understand exactly what is happening. And you see the same thing that is happening down in Florida along the I-95 uh, corridor that connects uh, all the way up to uh, to the North, New England. And people are moving down and not realizing the importance of the, the success and the, having the right people there for the right policies. think Florida almost – voted for a, an avowed socialist, and Andrew Gillum, to be mm-hmm. governor. And there was still a very close election.
3: Mm-hmm. I was surprised by that, actually, because yeah. he was under, you know, FBI investigation for corruption in Tallahassee. I, you know, I think the the, uh, the current governor, you know, had a hard time as far as campaigning, but he's certainly doing a great job now that he's there. He's, he's done a lot of great things very, very quickly. So Ab- Absolutely
5: scary, by the way. You know, you've been talking about Hold Texas, Hold the Nation. I think that's your new book that's out, right? But, previous book. Our previous book, sorry. The new book is Guardian of the Republic, right? Uh, but um, we, uh, it's so important. I mean, when you look at Texas as an economy, I mean, it's one of the biggest, countries in the world,
1: really. So t- yeah, is the 10th largest economy in the world. The Texas economy is larger than uh, Canada and larger than Russia. When you think about the fact that America is now energy independent, a net exporter of its oil and natural gas resources, that's because of the uh, the innovation of uh, hydraulic fracturing here in Texas that allowed us to get those resources so that we can produce, consume, and export them. But when you look at the other side, Bernie Sanders has said that you know by 2025 he wants to completely ban hydraulic fracturing. So, in other words, he would like for us to go back and be dependent upon mm-hmm. OPEC and and worry about you know what happens when Iran stirs up nonsense over in the Middle East. And so all of these things that the the left is promoting is is really nonsensical. But again, the, these incredible states, you know, Florida, Texas, Georgia, North Carolina, Tennessee are, you know, victims of their own success. But we really do have to do a better job, and that's one of the things I want to do as the chairman, is to get the message out and to say, you know, why did you move from where you were? And and why are you here in a place like Texas? And why would you want to do as God told Lot and his family not to do when they were fleeing Sodom and Gomorrah? Why are you looking back?
5: Yeah. Um, You know, Trump uh, election cycle coming up. What are your thoughts on his uh, does he you know, my thought is, as he walks back into the White House Mm -hmm. and uh, I just look at some of the candidates that the left is putting up and they, you know, continue to become more and more. Uh, radically left, you know. Even when Obama ran and Clinton ran, they they almost look like moderates compared to some of these guys, which is and folks, which is really scary. But you look at Trump, and you know he's winning the vote in the African American community right now and the Latino community, and they really, really seem to be embracing capitalism. And uh, I wanted to know your thoughts
1: on that. Well, it is really his to lose, and the important thing, like they say in uh, in tennis, you don't want to have the unforced errors. Uh, as you go into this election cycle, because the left has no message, you can't just run on hating someone and and if you listen to everyone running to be the Democrat presidential nominee, all they talk about is beating Donald Trump, defeating donald trump they They don't talk about anything that is going to improve the quality of life or the way of life for the American people. you know they're embracing you know illegal immigration, criminal illegal immigrants. you know at the state of the union address, I think one of the most you know visible. Uh, aspects of that to show the American people and, and the Democrats that the clear delineation was when President Trump offered the Opportunity Scholarship to the young nine-year-old girl uh, oh, and her single mom you know, from the inner city of Philadelphia. And what did you see the left do? They just sat on their hands. They were angry about it, the stored faces, the the hardened faces. But here was the President of the United States of America before the world saying to this young black girl in the inner city that you know, I understand how critical an education is for your opportunity and for you to enjoy the American dream, and that's why we're going to make it happen. And that's the exact same reason Ron DeSantis won because he said, I will not relegate your kids to failing schools. So I think it's those simple things that we need to make connections with because. The black and Hispanic communities are conservative in nature, and we just don't tell them that. We just don't put it in the terms of our Judeo-Christian faith, family, Mm -hmm. individual Mm -hmm. responsibility, strong education, small business entrepreneurship, service to the nation. And uh, actually, just last week, my third book came out. It's called We Can Overcome, an American Black Conservative Manifesto, because I really think it's important that we get the message to the black community that, you know, your principles and beliefs are conservative in nature. And you evidence that every Sunday when you go to church. So what happens Monday through Saturday?
3: Exactly. It's, uh, you know, it's amazing because uh, you you would never have thought based on if you just landed on the planet and watched the media, you'd think that Donald Trump is the most racist guy in the world. But it it was— it was Obama's policies that, and his attorney general that won after Bobby Jindal, if you remember, when he tried to institute and, and successfully did a school voucher program in those communities, and you know the attorney general came out right away and called it a, a you know a, a racial. Uh, uh, you know uh, issue because it wasn't going to the the poor kids it was going to allow the white kids to get out of those neighborhoods and of course Bobby Jindal I think did a great job of saying wait a minute now 95% of these are not every more are going to minority kids and giving them the opportunity to get an education in better districts and they eventually dropped the lawsuit but it's like they're fighting against their own best interests it just makes no sense um, let me ask you about New York. Uh, New York, if you follow, has, you know, now you mentioned Virginia. New York, we're about a year ahead of Virginia where we've, you know, elected a, a solid majority in both the Senate and the Assembly of Democrats. And they have gone out there and passed bail reform. They have given the the, the criminals, the victims and uh, witnesses, addresses, uh, you know, just in cr- crazy uh, what they're doing up there. Now, driver's licenses. And, of course, this past week you saw, you know, Como meeting with uh, uh, President Trump about, you know, getting back their ability to uh, to qualify for Nexus passes. But, you know, what do you, what is your take? Because very similar to Virginia, you know, we're in New York. Unfortunately, eight miles of Long Island or whatever it is, you know, wags the, 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 the dog, Right.
1: Yeah, the interesting thing is that when you look at the ideological agenda of the left and uh, what they're doing in Virginia is just should should be shocking and should should chill down. Everyone's spine. what they're doing with the Second Amendment there and the fact that they just voted that uh, in this 2020 election cycle that their electors will go to the winner of the popular vote, the national popular vote, not who wins their state. And then again, you see how the left uh, is embracing criminals and criminal illegal immigrants, and placing them above our veterans and the safety and security of our Americans. That's because they their agenda calls for people to be dependent upon them. Their agenda they need uh, victims, and not the true victims of the crimes, but. Uh, their victims are the folks that they see best uh, aligning with their ideological agenda. So you have these sanctuary states and these sanctuary cities that pop up all over the place. You look at the MS-13 issue that you have there in uh, in Nassau County, and the fact that you have just had someone that was a witness to a crime by MS-13 gang members, he was uh, hunted down and he was killed because of the release of his information, which is one of the laws that they, they passed there. Uh, and all the people that are being released. Look at the uh, NYPD police officers that were just shot at, I think, four last weekend. So the left is aligning themselves, as they always do, with a criminal element, element, with uh, chaos, and with everything that undermines the 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 rule of law, really. and and it's amazing to me that they are so upset about Roger Stone, but yeah Andrew McCabe that we know lied before Congress or uh, uh, James Clapper, who lied before the Senate. You know, those guys get a free pass. It's the hypocrisy I think, that everyone's starting to realize.
3: yeah, the hypocrisy is really frustrating because when you look at what Obama did, I mean, he repeatedly, Intervened, Whether it was a Cambridge police acted stupidly or if I had a son, he'd look like Trayvon or hands up, don't shoot. Michael Brown was an upstanding young citizen. I mean, on and on you can go with with mm-hmm. with where he intervened over and over and over again, most of the time on behalf of criminals, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, Roger Stone, in my mind, is not a criminal. He was an, you know, entrapped, and it's unfortunate that we have a, a liberal judge that wants to go down this path. But.
5: I, I know we're up against the clock on you, know, and the one last question, the military. Tell me what you think uh, Trump is doing right, and what's the morale of our troops? I know you're still close with, uh, with the military.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, i still got a lot of my friends that are there. My nephew is a major in the United States Army, and so it's, it's night and day. It was it was just the same as when I was uh there. You had the Clinton administration and you saw the capability, the capacity, the morale go down. President Trump has restored that. You look at the fact that we don't have an ISIS issue anymore. That was taken care of you know, rather quickly because he turned to the military and he said, you guys go do what you have to do. No more crazy rules of engagement. Just go out there, find the enemy, and, and destroy him. And so when you look at what is happening with the, the compensation, the, you know, the pay raises for the military, uh, we're restoring – that capability and capacity. Look at what we're doing and forcing our allies in NATO to pony up and do the right thing, and so that we're not putting so much stress and strain on our military. So again, the hypocrisy that you know now the, the left wants to constrain the president with this war powers resolution only for Iran, when Barack Obama was sending Iran you know pallets of uh, billions of dollars of cash. You know, Obama fired over 500 drone strikes. Now, they get upset because one terrorist leader of the coups force is is taking out. But see, that encourages, that emboldens our men and women in uniform because we know that we have a commander in chief that has their back.
3: Thanks again for listening in, folks. We appreciate it. We're doing a best-of show today, taking a stroll down memory lane, some of the fantastic people we've had the opportunity to interview over the past couple of years, of uh, two decades, I should say. And if you need us throughout the week, don't forget, we do manage money for a living. You can reach us at the office at 833-FIN-GUYS, 833-FIN-GUYS, or, of course, go to our website at thefinancialguys.com. Stay tuned. We've got more interviews coming up here on the Financial Guys Radio Network. <music> Forget
10: the extremists. It's simple. No one hunts with an assault rifle. No one needs 10 bullets to kill a deer.
2: You're listening to The Financial Guys, Glenn Wiggle and Mike Lomas. To reach Glenn and Mike now, call 803-0930. Toll free at 800-616-WBEN and sell calls are free at star 930.
3: Welcome back, everybody. We've got the Financial Guys Best of Show. And over the years, we've had the opportunity to interview a lot of different folks and a lot of congressmen and political figures. This next interview, we've had the opportunity to interview this person multiple times over the years, Uh, first when he was a uh, county executive, and then multiple times when he was a sitting congressman in western New York. And Uh, uh, Congressman uh, uh, Chris Collins was our guest uh, repeatedly, and probably some of the more fiery interviews, I would say. You know, uh, Chris uh, uh, never failed to to, to take a strong position and mix it up. And oftentimes, you know, we were at odds in some of these positions, like government debt and government spending. And so – but I really enjoyed the opportunity to have that back and forth and have that debate and that challenge and just the opportunity to have the – you know, a sitting congressman that's willing to come on and, and answer questions. Questions from the audience and the constituents, and you'll probably hear several phone calls throughout this interview. So enjoy this upcoming interview. This is uh, one of our many interviews with Congressman Chris Collins. We do appreciate you coming back in. Uh, You are a a stand-up guy, and uh, you faced a a couple of pretty tough interviews from us. And uh, today won't be quite as tough, but. I appreciate all you. Uh, right, you can
10: bring it on. Uh, we
3: stand it up and answer the questions. We do appreciate. It. First of all, congratulations. Thank you. Um, you were one of the very first to come out of the gate, and the first, the first. Excuse me, the first to come out of the gate and uh, and endorse uh, Donald Trump, and uh, you were right on. And
10: it's February twenty fourth, which you know, right at nine months ago. Now, when you look at our calendar, yeah. that. Uh, on the one hand, it seems like yesterday, and on the other hand, seems like longer than that, but so, nine months ago. What
3: did wow. you see at that time in Trump that people like Governor Kasich still can't figure out?
10: Well, Glenn, it, it really was fairly simple. I was early on with Jeb Bush. Uh, that was even before Trump was a serious candidate. And I looked at all the governors and said, we need a CEO in the White House. When, when you think of uh, uh, that job, President of the United States, Chief Executive of the country, I used to refer to myself as the Chief Executive of Erie County. Uh, you have to make decisions lickety-split. They are nonstop. You're drinking out of a fire hydrant. And the people coming into the office of the Chief Executive, whether you're a mayor, a county executive, a governor, or the president, um, are nonstop. And it's never good news. People are not walking in to say, "Let me tell you, uh, you know, this good thing that just happened today." It is bad news coming in, uh, catastrophe by catastrophe, decisions that need to be made. A legislator, someone in the legislature, has not been trained in in that decision making uh, uh, way. So. If someone says missiles have just been launched from North Korea, Mr. President, what are we going to do? And you've got a legislator, whether it was Ted Cruz or Marco Rubio, and he says, I'll get back to you next month on that. Right. That That's not going to... To serve our country.
11: Well,
3: we've we've seen that with the last eight years with Obama, right? With Benghazi, exactly. with Syria, with red
10: lines. With, exactly. That I we mean- had eight years of a legislator in over his head, not a chief executive, not not skilled through experience in that that manner. So when Jeb Bush, you know, after Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina, he was done. He withdrew, and I had supported him. He would have been a good president. Uh, disappointed in a lot of things since then. But putting that aside, he would have been a good president. Who was left standing? Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, and Marco Rubio. Two legislators and a chief executive who, for almost five decades, has run a business empire who knows what it's like to be in the line of fire. For me, it was a simple decision. Of the three, two legislators and a chief executive by the name of Donald Trump that's what allowed me very quickly in my own decision-making to say I'm backing Donald J. Trump.
3: Well, you did have Governor Kasich in there all the way to the end. So
10: I also said someone who could win. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that John Kasich had no chance whatsoever. Yeah. Um, you know, popular governor in Ohio. Didn't even get 50% of the vote in Ohio. Right. I mean, the only state he won. You. Right. So I, I also was realistic in saying – there's only three people left standing who would have any chance of getting the nomination. It was Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, and and Donald J. Trump. So,
3: so speaking of Marco Rubio, your reaction to uh, Castro's uh, passing uh, last night? Obviously, uh, Marco Rubio had some choice words for the uh, the former dictator. I wonder what your take is. I'm, I'm assuming it's probably the same.
10: Uh, very similar. We'll just say no one's shedding any tears <laughs> over over the passing of uh, of Castro. But let's face it; his son's been pretty much running the country now for yeah. the last X number of years, and uh, I liked what Donald Trump said, which is he's going to do what he can as president to to bring some freedoms back. Uh, he's not going to be rolling over the way John Kerry and and President Obama have done, and let's see if we can't somehow, finally, after five decades, uh, you know, bring some. Some freedoms to the people of, of Cuba.
3: Well, Raúl has been in charge now for the last what eight to ten years. Ten right? years, uh, right. And I, so I don't know that that much really even changes. At I this don't think point, anything changes with, the,
10: with the death. But uh,
3: so who do you think from the uh, administration shows up at the funeral? <laughs>
10: <laughs> Maybe John Kerry. <laughs> I,
3: I, I hope not. I would think that would be. Uh, but you know when they when they send uh, you know uh, folks to the uh, the Ferguson funeral for Michael Brown, I I, uh, I expect nothing less. So. All right, if you want to join us, we, uh, we will take some calls and questions. eight zero three zero nine three zero star 930 is a free call and sell, 1-800-616-9236. Let me start with, um, or I guess round back around to um, your plans for the future. Uh, you've been a congressman now for uh, several terms. Um, you obviously yeah, are. Well, a couple, <laughs> couple terms. You, um, you're right now, the, correct me if I'm wrong, you're the congressional liaison to the transition team, right? You're also part of the transition team. Um, so where do you go from here? I think many folks were were expecting you to potentially be tapped as, uh, you know, a commerce secretary. Which uh, I believe that they picked uh, Wilbur Ross is what uh, what the pick was for that. looking like it.
10: Um, so so uh, Glenn, I guess you go back to at this stage of my career. Um, and, and I'm in Congress on the number one committee. Energy and Commerce is the number one committee. Seventy percent of all legislation goes through our committee. We effectively have jurisdiction over everything other than tax policy and, and banking. Uh, and I'm on the top three subcommittees, health, telecommunications, and oversight. So I found uh, in my second term the home that I want. I will never aspire to any other committee. I'm already on the top committee. I will never aspire to any subcommittees other than the three I'm on. So I, I view in Washington, I can play a legislative role on the top three subcommittees, ultimately moving up through seniority and hard work to chair the oversight subcommittee, then chair the health subcommittee, and then chair the full energy and commerce committee over several terms in Congress. That, that is a, a powerful position, one that I'm well-suited for based on my private sector background. Certainly within Congress, uh, there's no one that has the background that I have in biotechnology uh, and the like. So that, that's where I want to be. That's why I went to Congress. And so when the president-elect called me the morning of the election, when he, after he had won, uh, and I very quickly said, you know, sir, with all due respect, not getting ahead of myself. I just need to let you know I'm staying in Congress. Not Would not take anything for granted that anything would come down. I'm staying in Congress. I can best serve you in that role. And uh, if there's a role I can play is some type of liaison. Let's face it, the uh, uh, Paul Ryan and some of our leaders were not exactly enthusiastic Trump supporters. They voted for him, but they weren't out campaigning with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, He very quickly said, let's see what we can work out, give me some ideas, so I sent him a a text uh, later that morning, and sure enough, the next day in speaking with Paul Ryan, he suggested that to our speaker who that night called and asked me if I would be officially the congressional liaison to the transition team. And then the next day, uh, the president-elect put me on the executive committee of the transition team with his three children, with uh, Jared Kushner, along with Reince Priebus and Steve Bannon. So that was signaling to people that uh, my my backing of, of the of president-elect w- was recognized by he and his family and he did me a great favor in those two moves, signaling to the Washington power base that I'm someone that, that uh, should be taking seriously and someone that uh, has his respect and he understands loyalty. So for me to now stay in Congress, which is what I want to do. He's done me uh, a, a big favor in that signaling to the power base in Washington that I'm someone they should pay attention to.
3: Stay tuned, folks. You've got the Financial Guys. We have many more great interviews coming up throughout the years. We'll be right back here on the Financial Guys Radio Network.
2: Are listening to The Financial Guys. To reach Glenn and Mike now, call 803-0930. Toll free at 800-616-WBEN. And cell calls are free at Star 930.
3: Welcome back, everybody. We've got the Financial Guys Best of program. I'm Glenn Wiggle. And uh, this next interview, Mike and I actually didn't do the interview. Uh, This was one that we missed out on because we took uh, the weekend off. I think it was Memorial Day weekend. Another very recent interview and another gubernatorial candidate. This time, uh, Andrew Giuliani was on with special guest hosts, Mike Sparaza and Mike Hayflick. And Mike and Mike always do a fantastic job. And they've had a lot of unbelievable guests on their podcast as well. If you haven't uh, listened to their podcast, uh, TFG Truth, I suggest you look that up and give it a listen. It did a fantastic interview a couple of weeks ago as well with our own uh, New York State Senator, Rob Ort. And that was a wonderful interview. If you haven't had a chance, again, go look up uh, TFG Truth and go to our website, thefinancialguys.com, to find out all that information and uh, much, much more. But uh, here is a uh, recent interview, uh, Mike and Mike interviewing uh, gubernatorial
12: candidate, Andrew Giuliani. Andrew Giuliani, how are you, my friend? <laughs>
8: Mike Mike, thank you so much for having me. I really do appreciate it and thank you for the warm introduction right there. Um, you know I, I am we announced our candidacy last Tuesday, so this is the twelfth day now uh, on the campaign trail and I got to say I, I've been more struck now more than ever about how New Yorkers from all across our state, not just from Buffalo or New York City or Albany or Plattsburgh, or the southern tier, the north country. Everybody is, you know, ready for change. And these aren't just traditional red voters. We've got a lot of traditional blue voters that are looking at it and saying, you know what, this right now, this is a turning point in New York State history, and we're going to turn it around on November eighth, twenty twenty two.
12: Boy, oh boy, I love what you're saying, and I really wholeheartedly hope and and I'll be praying truly to make sure that we can support whatever it is that you could do. Um, I I want to just come back a little bit now. Um, clearly, and and you must get this quite often. Your dad is Rudy Giuliani, and I need say more, uh, no more. Uh, it's literally the best mayor that New York City or any city in our country has ever had. Led us through 911 back in 2001. Um, he's literally a national hero. You were, I mean, a teenager at the time of 9/11. Can you give us a couple of your thoughts on what you remember about that event, but also your dad and his leadership to get us, every really, to get all of us across the country through that event?
8: Well, I got to tell you, you know, it's tough to believe that we're 20 years, 20 years now. It feels still like it's yesterday. You know, the feeling that I think so many Americans, but certainly so many New Yorkers felt, that day, it was you know this combination of this you know this uh, unbelievable sadness, this anger um, and this hopelessness. But you know what ended up what it ended up becoming was this um, you know this feeling that we couldn't rely on each other as New Yorkers. Obviously, that sadness still has not has not left, and I think I, I hope most people have not forgotten what led to those events, and and certainly have not forgotten the heroism of the first responders that went into those buildings. They went into the buildings knowing that they were going to fall to save human life. Mm-hmm. I mean, if that's, not, if that's not the definition of bravery, I don't know what is. Um, but, but I remember I was, in, I was in school that day. I was in high school um, knowing what was going on. It was, it was a very strange feeling in the sense that I knew my father was okay and I knew he was exactly where he needed to be. Um, you know uh, he he came close to actually getting crushed by by the second tower. Uh, he was in World Trade Center Seven, which is one of the buildings that fell much later in the day, probably around four or five o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was about to leave an, an exit, uh, and that exit was right where the uh, where the second tower was. and a janitor down there basically took him to uh, to to another door. They exited about three minutes later. Uh, the second tower came down. Would have come down on him, likely, uh, had that janitor not been there. You know, my father never, ever found that janitor, and so he liked to say it was a guardian angel, but he, he looked for him, he never could find him. Uh, hopefully he did not perish, and, you know, there, there are certainly some theories about mm-hmm. who it was, but I certainly look at him as a guardian angel on that day. Um, but, you know, again, as I mentioned before, we, we can never, ever, ever forget the heroism of the first responders on that day. Um, you know, they saved thousands and thousands and thousands of lives. You know, we always know about the 2,900 uh, New Yorkers and, and Americans that died mm-hmm. that day. But, you know, really, without, without our police, without our firefighters, without our Port, Port Authority police, you know, that could have been in the five figures. That um, They were incredible in terms of how they were able to evacuate people out of, out of the trades.
12: No question. Happy birthday to your dad, by the way. He turned uh, 77 yesterday. And and in good health, it seems.
8: Thank you. Yes, he's he's doing well. You know, he's he's as uh, you know feisty as always. It was great to be with him last night. We're uh, today we're up in we're up in Ithaca and Binghamton, uh, but uh, but last night we were we had got to have dinner with him, and it was uh, it was a fun dinner and certainly a, a birthday celebration he deserves.
5: And Andrew,
3: you know, coming from someone that followed in their father's footsteps a little bit, my dad's been in the insurance industry for 40-something years, and now I've obviously followed into that. You, the same with politics. Uh, you said recently, actually, you were a politician out of the womb. It's in your DNA, you said. What does it mean to you to follow your father in in the political world and, and try to achieve something so great?
8: Yeah, well, I, I got to It's funny. I said the the first part a little bit derogatory of myself. You know, the joke I like to tell it. I can't stand career politicians. It's <laughs> worse. You know, I get in the shower, I try to wash it off, and, and the <laughs> there. So, um, <laughs> but the truth is, you know, look, uh, I'm 35 years old. If I were to be elected, I think I would slightly surpass Teddy Roosevelt as the youngest governor in the, in the history of, of New York State. Um, but, but I have been around this for 32 years. You know, I, I remember parts of my father's 89 campaign. I remember his 93 campaign very well. And in the campaign office uh most days in there with him uh certainly volunteered on on the president's 2016 campaign uh was involved in this last one from the white house so uh you know this is something that you know i've i've been a part of for parts of 32 years Mm -hmm. and uh and i've seen how candidates can win tough races you know winning uh in new york city specifically uh, when you have 2,200 murders, it's not an easy race, right? Obviously, we we know the 2016 race was not an easy race for the president. And I've also seen change, change agents uh, being able to come in in a situation and really take a, take a city and turn it around, the city that they thought was ungovernable, and turn it around and, and change that murder rate from over 2,200 in the early 90s to less than 600 uh, within five short years. So... Uh, Certainly, in the White House, you know, I was very, very proud of many of the policy accomplishments of President Trump and the administration. And certainly, from an economic standpoint, when you look at deregulation, I think it's one of the main reasons why we saw Hispanic American, Asian American, African American unemployment at at record lows in the end of 2019, and overall unemployment at uh, lows since before man walked on the moon. Mm
3: -hmm. Uh,
8: So, anyway, I guess that's a, a long answer in saying that. Uh, yes, it, it is in my DNA. I've seen it. While I can't stand career politicians, I've certainly seen really, really good, uh, really, really good men and women that have gotten into politics and been able to change. Which is truly what really the, the beauty of of politics should be about.
12: You're
3: listening to the Financial Guys' best of interviews over the last two decades here on the Financial Guys Radio Network. Stay tuned for more interviews to come you're listening to
7: the
2: financial guys to reach glenn and mike now call 803-0930 toll free at 800-616-wben and sell calls are free at star 930 now
3: Here's Glenn Wiggle and Mike Lomas. This is another gubernatorial candidate interview and uh, a, a frequent guest and uh, guest host as well on the Financial Guys radio program over uh, many, many years of friendship and... Uh, You know, we supported uh, this individual in a lot of ways, you know, uh, not only the gubernatorial candidacy, but also when he ran and was on the local school board. Of course, this is uh, Western New York influencer Carl and developer uh, Carl Palladino. I say influencer because Carl has been repeatedly listed as one of the most influential people in Western New York. And I think Carl's heart is in the right place and doing the best he can because he loves Western New York. And uh, this was an interview we did when he was running for. Uh, for governor back in 2010 against uh, our King Andrew Como And uh, we enjoyed um, the many, many interviews over the years with uh, Carl Palladino. Uh, Carl is so smart and has a, a brain that just remembers every little bit. Amazingly, all of those things that Carl said would happen – uh, have happened, right? They, they did happen over the years, like uh, the common uh, council member uh, ending up and frolicking, as he said, uh, in a prison. Of course, everybody will remember uh, Carl's uh, famous uh, commercials that he did, that really kind of put him in the spotlight. Where he started off saying, "Hello, Buffalo, are you listening?" and uh, hit a, r- a lot of great topics. This is Carl Paladino.
5: I have to start out with the with the Buffalo schools, Carl, and uh, your progress on the board. Um, I know, you know. I, I will say this: the I, I think the the number one thing from from my standpoint, anyways, and viewpoint is um, there's a lot of attention now on the school. I mean, people are st- people are showing up to board meetings, they're picketing, they're well, doing everything, and that kind of stuff didn't happen before yeah, you
11: got involved. Actually, uh, uh, last year the Buffalo News only had one reporter assigned to uh, education, uh, and now they have four. Hmm. So. Uh, I think we did bring an awareness to the community, and I'm happy about that. I'm still not happy that uh, we're we're still as dysfunctional as we ever were, and on top of that now, we're also broke. Uh, we learned last week that our deficit for this year is, is approximately $35 million right now, and there's another couple of uh, additions going to be added to that be, uh, before the end of the fiscal year because they forgot to budget $14 million for the after-school program, mm-hmm. and they also, uh, the state is requiring them to have a physical education program that they somehow forgot about over the uh, past few years, uh, and that's going to cost another couple million dollars. So wow. so in the end, uh, uh, the uh, majority on the Buffalo School Board have done a fantastic job uh, uh, drilling this uh, Buffalo Public Schools as far into the ground as they possibly could. Hmm. Uh, I think what I have learned in six months is that there's a reason that we have a cycle of poverty in our urban centers across the state and obviously across the country. And that reason is very simple, if I can try to explain it. The liberals uh, enjoy the cycle of poverty. They uh, enjoy the benefit of it because keeping these people tied up in the urban centers uh, keeps them poor, keeps them hungry, and keeps them totally disoriented as to achievement and other, other things that most people learn as they're, as they're uh, going on through life. Uh, in doing that, they encourage a certain type of African-American leader to come in And uh, lead these inner-city type of operations such as uh, the Buffalo Public Schools. These leaders do not have the competence to run, in this case, a $1 billion a year enterprise. What they do is they try to preserve the status quo, which for them preserves their power over money, power over jobs, and uh, you know, it somehow gives them some kind of comfort that they're doing something positive. The reality is that they believe absolutely in keeping the status quo. They don't want change, although their community is saying, we've got to have change. Our kids are entitled to an education. They're entitled to have this opportunity for an education. Why do you keep doing what you do? And the, and, the, and the leadership they stand there and they try to play the race card every time that you open your mouth on any issue mm-hmm. but the reality was or and has been for the past uh, uh, decade and a half or, or two decades uh, they have brought in uh, african-american leadership because they have an attitude that only african-americans can lead uh, uh, a district comprised of a majority of, of minorities uh, students that kind of BS that they've been given, and 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 the and the huge, terrible uh, withdrawal of the private sector and the rest of the community from any interest in what's going on in education of, uh, in the city, is is this this uh, final result of the cycle of poverty issue. The the african-american leadership and the liberals and democrats they want to keep it exactly like it is you don't see andrew cuomo you don't see sheldon silver uh doing anything about this because they all they want is a careful balance Mm -hmm. you have sheldon silver controlling the border regions and sheldon silver also taking these huge huge uh and i think they're the largest contributor to sheldon silver's causes and the democratic party in the state that's the new york state united teachers New York State United Teachers, NICET, uh, is the largest contributor to that democratic cause. And their whole goal is to just keep the status quo, keep everybody balanced. Uh, watch out for guys like Palladino, okay, because he's going to come in and tell you the truth, and he's mm-hmm. going to tell everybody what, what it's all about, and we have to co- try to counter him. And that's the reason you saw the that, that barrage of disgusting... Uh, uh, Mailing's that they sent out on mm-hmm. me during the election.
5: Can we can we break the cycle? Yeah,
11: we can I mean. break it when we start when we start uh, getting when the entire community gets involved, and that's what I've been doing. I've been rallying them,
5: mm-hmm.
6: yeah. and
11: I, I have trouble now getting through the fruit section of Wegmans. It's it's crazy, <laughs> but people want to help,
6: yeah. and
11: they're and they're becoming aware of the problems of the of the uh, the the lack of experience, the lack of good judgment, the lack of uh, uh, leadership qualities in these in these leaders in the school system that has to be dealt with.
10: Does, does
4: this We're going to
11: have an at-large election next May, in which three uh, at-large members' seats will be up, and uh, it's my hope that the community will come out very large for that and uh, and rid ourselves of this uh, this majority right now who are who are totally off the page and and have they they have absolutely no. Uh, Concern when last week our CFO announced these uh, $35 million deficit for this year and for next year is estimated at $48 million. (laughs) Our total uh, unrestricted reserves are approximately $80,000. Those two uh, deficits will kill our reserves, and that's illegal, by the way. Hmm. The state requires, state law requires Reserve, unrestricted reserves of four percent of the bu- annual budget so that's about uh 40 million dollars and should be held in reserve so they're already violating uh the law by allowing all this nonsense to go on hmm. then the games that they play are the silliest foolish games
3: well i think the idea is to keep the keep independent right i mean if if i think it was either thomas soul or or uh, walter williams I, I think said it best he said you know the, the liberals want to help poor people while they're poor Mm-hmm. The conservatives want to help poor people n- not be poor, you know, to right. actually get ahead in life, to get gainful employment, to be a productive member of society, to to climb the eco- you know, socio economic ladder. Um, and unfortunately, you know, we don't get enough of the of the second half. We don't get enough policies that truly help kids, whether it be through education, whether it be through employment opportunities, whether it be through job training, whether it be through whatever. We're not doing enough to help these communities become. And find ways to climb that ladder and become not poor in the Democrats world, clearly it's in their best interest to continue to help them i mean I think they they have decent intentions most of the time, but they just they just want to help them while they're poor so while you're poor we're going to help you with the belmont grant we 're going to help you with food stamps we 're going to help you with unemployment benefits we're going to help you with this that and the other thing. None of those things help those people become not poor. Thanks again for tuning in, folks. We really appreciate your listenership. I hope everybody has a fantastic and uh, and safe independence day weekend so enjoy the holiday remember the freedoms that we've lost that we need to get back and enjoy the time with your family we'll be back with you next week live on the financial guys radio network don't forget to listen to our podcast released each tuesday every single week and of course go to our website for more information on all of our social media links as well as our podcast at the financial on behalf of mike lomas i'm glenn wiggle and we are the financial guys we'll see you next week